don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you really felt like a foreigner, like you didn't belong. Um, I think even when I've traveled internationally as a English-speaking American, I think people are, you can find English speakers all over the place and people who want to include you in things. And I remember when we were in China, people wanted to speak English. They wanted to practice their English with us and include us in all kinds of things. One time, though, we were in, um, when we were in the UAE, we were staying in Abu Dhabi, but we drove quite a ways, almost to the border of Saudi Arabia, to go to a date festival, which we thought would be a great place to, uh, to celebrate and enjoy culture. And we were the only ones with Western clothes on. And there was no English signs or English anywhere. And it was, we, you just know, like as much as you want to be part of the celebration, like we are foreigners. And uh, there's just like, there's a real barrier there. Um, here in our text today, we have Peter, Jesus' disciple, Peter writing to these churches. And he said, you know, as followers of Jesus, what you are fundamentally is foreigners and exiles in the world that you live in. Uh, again, our... our as people of faith, we feel like foreigners, not because of a geographic or a political boundary, but it's, we feel like foreigners because we've been reborn and made new, and our identity has been so radically changed that this world essentially is no longer our home, that we're citizens of heaven, primarily, uh, and, and first and foremost, uh, and then we live in the places where God has put us, and we feel like foreigners. And I think in our country increasingly it can feel that way. Like, I don't know if I really fit in to this culture. And I think even more so in recent days, over the last 50 or 60 years, I mean, you think, and I, to some of you who were, you know, who are older, I'll say, um, who, you know, the, you know, 60 years ago, Christian values and principles were still considered a real guiding force in our nation. Um, and with our culture, Christianity was very mainstream, very, you know, had a very public voice, uh, very, I guess, say, popular. But there's been a real shift from that. Um, the Bible no longer has a prominent role in public discourse. Um, the church no longer has a privileged voice in public conversation. Faith is more and more marginalized in our culture. And, and we can feel that. Now, I don't want to overstate this either. I mean, we live very freely as people of faith in this country. And there are uh, our Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, like in the Middle East or China, as I um, mentioned, you know, that where there's, in, in a number of places, where it is difficult and dangerous even um, to be a person of faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, what we experience is more just kind of a collective disdain for Christianity and faith. People are like, yeah, uh, you know. They just prefer we just kind of go away. Um, on a positive, that can be discouraging, but on a positive note, this is a great opportunity. In, in many ways, I think light shines in the darkness very bright. We have an amazing opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with uh, a world that doesn't know Jesus. And we have more and more opportunities. Uh, also, that the Bible, God's Word, comes alive to us in new ways. The Bible in the New Testament was written to people on the margins of their society. These were not people with political influence or power or sway. This was written to, to people who were just kind of, it was very uh, to fringe kind of groups. 
the values of the cities that these Christians lived in were not the values of the God of the Bible. It was, um, they were very much foreigners and exiles in that sense, where they lived. And so we might feel that more you know, today than even, for, for some of you, even earlier in your lifetime, that this is a kind of a, a rapid change that we've experienced. So this is very relevant for us. So we're going to look at two things. One is, how do we live? How are we to live as foreigners and exiles in the world in which we live? And then what's our motivation to live that way of life? Why would we, how can we sustain that? Or where do we get the energy or the power to live that out? So let's pray as we begin. So Father, we desire to know who we are in light of you, our creator. And um, not only are you our creator, but you are our savior. That you have called us to yourself, to know you and experience you and experience this world in a different way. And it is different, Lord. And we, when we feel the tension between what we believe and the values of the world around us, Lord, help us to have wisdom to, to know how to live and to follow you, Lord. So I pray even now that you would be guiding us as we look into your word. Be our teacher in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so first, how to live is foreigners and exiles in our world. Three things. One uh, is that we fight darkness and we spread light. That's the first thing. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, you know, as strangers in this world, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Again, Peter, who wrote these words, Jesus' disciple, he knew about temptation and sin. Jesus... um, told him directly in Matthew 26. He says, he's talking to Peter. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And what did Peter do? He fell asleep. And then he ended up denying Jesus. And he, he wept bitterly, Scripture says, when he realized how badly he had failed. He knows temptation. And he's writing to these people to say, to be a follower of Jesus is to be at war between your sinful desires and the good path that God is calling you to. But we, we live in a world, because we're, that's foreign to our world. Our world says, well, actually, if it feels good, just do it. Live however you want. Um, but we know that as people who are being redeemed and restored by God, that not every desire I have is a healthy desire. Not everything I want to do is good or honoring to God. And we, we live that battle and we all experience it in different ways. You know, the, the sins and temptations that I would struggle with and the ones you struggle with, I can't just make a list of, of them. It would be much too long of a list um, for both of us. It would be, you know, it, it's... But what, what is common among all of us is that we're all in it together, fighting for what is good and right. This is, there's these things that wage war against our soul, and therefore we need each other we need the grace of our Lord, but we also need each other to hold each other up in that battle. I know for me personally, in my spiritual journey, when I got to the point where I was in a genuine, authentic community where I could say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, this, in, in confessing sin to other people, that it was very freeing and liberating. I don't just have to you know, pretend like everything's fine because I'm admitting that there's a war in my soul, there's a war in your soul, and we're in battle together, and we're here for each other. We really want to be a church where we, where we do this kind of battle together and support each other in it. Small groups is a great place. 
know, Pastor Dan is working towards um, some other uh, discipleship type groups. Uh, the men are going to be getting together. Um, so we're gathering any, and actually any men in the church are welcome to attend on October 19th. We'll send this to you in the weekly email, but October 19th at John Given's house um, in the evening, they're going to have a time, kind of an informal time with a fire pit and just snacks and beverage and conversation. Pastor Dan's going to be sharing some of his vision for these new discipleship environments where we can kind of live this way of life together. We also want to see this lived out in the lives of men and women and families, and, but this is sort of we're kind of piloting it through um, some of the momentum in the men's ministry and hope to see it just extend to the whole church eventually. But this is just part of um, you know, fighting the darkness and spreading light. So we're going to push back the darkness in our own souls. And then verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. You know, you're going to live such a good life. Whatever people think about faith or about Jesus or about um, your Christian faith or about the Bible, they, they will want you to fail. They want you to go away. But you're going to live in such a way that they just can't accuse you. They can't, uh, they, they just see a goodness there that is true. Even if they don't want it to, to be true. I mean, Jesus said these almost these same words. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And again, Peter heard Jesus say that, and then now he's teaching these new Christians, just live such a good life that people will see God. You don't live such a good life so that you can invite people to church and maybe they'll learn about Jesus there. They're going to learn about Jesus through your life in that moment. You live that way to, to bring it to the world. Not a perfect life, but a life that is where people can see that you are trying to live a different way, that you are pursuing something different. It's going to point people to God. So that's the first thing that we do. As foreigners and exiles, we're going to live lives that are very different, lives that acknowledge the fact that we have desires that are not good, that we are at war. We're going to support each other in that and live it out so people can see it. Secondly, to live as a foreigner and an alien in this world, we need to respect authority. So verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, verse 14, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So here the teaching is respect authority and particularly respect um, government authority. Okay? It's kind of a tough one, right? Um, we need to remember, as we read the New Testament, the assumption is that Christians are, again, going to be living out their faith in underneath governments and with rulers and authorities that don't honor Christ. That's where your faith is lived out. Um, the political systems of their day, these early churches who are receiving this letter, the political systems are not driven by the values of the kingdom of God, and you will feel like a foreigner in that. Our system that we live under is a monarchy, King Jesus, who demands our allegiance, who we seek to, to serve and honor as king of our lives and as king of our community. That's our system 
but we live that out in other types of systems, including the political system of the United States. But we can't fit our system into, we can't fit our kingdom into the political systems of our day. Whenever I have, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, when you have leftovers at home, I always pick the wrong size Tupperware for some reason. And I think it's the perfect size. So I see how much we have. I go to the cabinet, I get the perfect container, and I fill it up, and it doesn't fit. I can't get the lid on. So I'll eat more of it just to make the lid fit, even though I'm not hungry, because I've dirtied it. Or the next day you get, okay, go a little bit bigger because I estimate wrong. And then you put the soup, there's this much soup and, you know, this much headspace, And that's going to, then it gets the skim over. It's just, it never works quite right. In the same way, we, I think we're prone to try to take our Christian faith and all of the kingdom of God and cram it into a political system that can never hold it. And it was never set up that way. The founders of our country intentionally said that the, the, um, that the church and then the, and the state are going to run on parallel tracks, but they're not one and the same. They could have set up a state church in our founding that would have been uh, easy enough to do, but these were people who would sort of experienced when the, the state has the power of the church and it's all one and the same. They can see the abuses that can come from that, so they set up the system that we have today. The, the issue is that those who ran the state or those who were sort of founding this Many, in great numbers, saw this as one nation under God, that they uh, were God-fearing and many um, Bible-believing Christian leaders who um, sought to govern in a way that would honor God as they uh, had a reverent fear of God. That's not the case anymore, that our leaders don't necessarily honor God or care anything of, of what I would say biblical Christianity or uh, Christian ethic or that sort of thing. And, and so we, we feel that. And, you know, we ask the question, you know, has our nation lost its way? And it really, the, the question is, has the church lost its way? Because it's always been the church, us, God's people, followers of Jesus, the church. It, we're the ones who are to influence and shape the world around us. And the church can do amazing things under terrible government systems all over the world. Where there's really oppressive re- political regimes where the church of Jesus is doing beautiful things and hearts are being transformed and God's kingdom is expanding even though the government system that it's under is really uh, evil or oppressive. And again, you know, maybe, maybe the light is going to shine brighter in the darkness around us. So, and I, I just share this too because you know, we've got elections coming up next month, and um, as Christians, we need to remember that our hope isn't in just electing the right people or electing the right leaders. Our hope for the world is God's kingdom. We remember we're citizens of heaven first, and we live, and we're going to live as foreigners and exiles. And there's going to be good leaders and bad leaders, and, and we just need to live our, we just need to live this kingdom in faith, together. You know, we want our nation to be strong. We want our nation to be prosperous. We want our nation to be safe. We want laws in our land that are just and laws that are righteous. We want that. We want the people who lead and serve 
elected officials. We want them to know God and to fear God and to, um, to serve. But the government is not the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is our living hope, as Peter says earlier in the same letter. Jesus, our living hope. And he's called us, the church, a bunch of foreigners and exiles living in this political system that, um, that is what it is without the political power necessarily it's, it's Jesus' people to point the world to our true hope, to Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. That's our job. That's our role. And we need to be true to that. So here the instruction for these Christians, and, I, and for us too, is to respect government authority. Um, now, there's always a balance in that. There's, a limit, there's limits to that. Even Peter... Again, who wrote this? It was uh, the governing structure of his day, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council in Acts chapter 5. They're saying to him, We gave you strict orders not to teach in the name of Jesus. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. He said, There's a limit to your authority. They would respect authority, except the authority said, You may not teach in the name of Jesus. And what did they do? All they did was teach in the name of Jesus. So there came a point where they, they wanted to push back against what, their, what these leaders were saying. Um, I think, of, you know, in our system today, we feel it. When, the, when our values and what we believe is true about life and about God is at odds with our elected officials. We have elected officials in this state who say that Pregnancy care, publicly saying pregnancy care centers are, should be shut down because they mislead women. And I, we completely disagree. This church has been supporting pregnancy care center in Merrimack Valley for over 20 years. I mean, just this has been a priority because they provide essential resources, valuable resources to women who are in crisis pregnancy to help them to know that abortion is not the only choice. That there's, there's, there's um, so here's, in, here's good and true information. And here are, you have many, there, there's options to, to bring life to the world, not just to destroy it. And it gives hope and it gives support. And they, we're going to continue, regardless of what our leaders think of this, we're going to continue to give money and we're going to give support to these good organizations because they're providing a vital service. You know, this. My, and my point in sharing that is we just, there are just times when that tension is just so, you know, rem, we are foreigners. What we believe about these things, it, it's, it seems like nonsense or it seems almost evil to other people, but we know God's truth. And we're always living in this tension. And our call here is to really obey the laws of our land to the extent that we can, to respect our governing authorities, to pray for our leaders, that we're going to be people who bless, not curse. We want to pray for our president and pray for our Supreme Court and pray for our local elected officials, and we want, to, we want them to be blessed by God. We want them to, to know and do what is right. And then we take whatever, the, whatever power or influence that I have, I'm going to take it, I'm going to use it to serve. And I'm going to use it to be a blessing in my world, not to try to gain more power or gain political power, but whatever we have, we use it, and we're going to continue to serve and to support. And we're going to do it for the glory of God. I think verse 17 sums this up really well. 
show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. That's, that's our posture. Third, so the first thing is we're going to um, you know, fight the darkness, spread the light. Secondly, we're going to honor those in authority, show proper respect. Thirdly, we're going to endure suffering. Verse 18, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh, for it is commendable if somebody bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. So all the slavery passages in the New Testament are difficult. This one's particularly difficult. Um, it could seem to almost condone slavery. It doesn't, certainly doesn't condemn slavery here. A uh, few things. A few weeks ago, we looked at a similar passage talking about slaves and masters. And just to reiterate that, slavery in the ancient world, different in some ways, in many ways, to slavery in kind of a pre-Civil War America, um, the commonality is that you were considered somebody's property, that you do not have your own rights, that you are under somebody else's control. But in the ancient world, there was a whole, maybe a third in ancient, you know, in the Roman Empire, there was maybe a third of all people were in the slave class. And even within that, there was all these different strata of the type of work that you did as a slave. So you could be a craftsman or a doctor or a manager or a teacher and, and be a slave. Or you could be a, a mine worker or a field worker and your conditions would be much more dangerous. And, um, and it depends on who your master was, how harsh it was. But some slaves could earn a wage. Some slaves could buy their way to be free. Some free people, because they were poor, would sell themselves into slavery because that was an economic advantage to being a slave rather than just being a peasant. Um, it is a very complicated and very pervasive system. And, and they didn't have the structures to overthrow it or change it. It's sort of the, the teaching is you're in this situation. How are you to live you know, in your employment situation um, even, as a, you know, even as a servant? Um, and again, the other thing we always remember is that it was... In, in our world, the institutions of slavery, which were across many cultures across this globe, and actually today still are, it's Bible-believing Christians who fought to abolish slavery, to dismantle the evil institution of slavery for very biblical and very Christian reasons and motivations behind that um, in Europe and in the United States and other places. So anyway, so we've... <laughs> There's a, there's a lot to this, obviously. But when we think about how do we live as foreigners and exiles, the point that's being made here is, what do you do when you're being treated harshly? What do you do when, if you're suffering, and it's not your fault? You've done what is right, and you're being treated wrong. And this kind of thing happens. Now, you don't live as slaves, so there's a big disconnect here. But this kind of thing happens all the time, where you, you get blamed for someone else's mistake. Or someone gets credit for the good that you did and you don't get any benefit from that. Or you're being treated harshly or you're in an oppressive, or discouraging work kind of a situation. Um, what do you do? 
We endure. And that's different than the way our world tends to operate. Our world tends to operate by getting defensive, by always fighting back, always having to justify yourself, always having to blast someone else with your word, with your words. Um, it's, but we are not, we are not operating under the system of our world. We are foreigners. We, are, we live under a different authority in our world. We don't have to fight back. Why? Because God is sovereign. Because God is just. Because God sees what happens. And God will reward you, even if the people around you don't give you the uh, appreciation you deserve, even if people are being harsh on you, that God actually is not harsh on us. God does not treat us as our sins deserve, but he extends his grace and his mercy to us. So we can have humility. We can have an inner strength, even in just a difficult situation. We can know that in the worst time, that it is well with our soul, even though the world around us is against us. So we endure. So that's how we live in this world. We um, seek to fight the darkness and spread light. We respect authority, and we endure, even in difficult situation. But what's the motivation now to do this? The motivation is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is our example. Jesus ultimately was falsely accused. He was beaten and despised, and he took it all on, and he knew that his heavenly Father would vindicate him and did. We have this amazing example of Jesus, what Jesus did for us, that, we can, that can motivate us, and that's beautiful. But a good example isn't all that we need. Because a good example is great, but you need more than that. The, picture, a, uh, picture a dad in the driveway who has beautiful aspirations that his child will become an NBA star, a WNBA star. Like you just, you're going you're gonna to make it. Because um, dad was a good high school basketball player. You know? Didn't quite, you know, had an injury, but could have been pro. You know? But you... You know, young child, you're going to make it big. And so dad is dribbling and showing all his skills, and this is how you perform a jump shot, and the kid is just inspired, sees this wonderful example. Uh, child takes the ball and goes perfect jump shot, and the ball just kind of rolls off the fingers and just hits the ground. There's no power behind the shot. The kid's, not, the kid's only three. But assured that the child will be the next NBA star. Child picks up the ball. Dad picks up the child. Hovers the child over the rim, such that the ball is in the rim. Child lets go of the ball. Slam dunk. See, you did it. That's the future star. That child doesn't just need a good example. The child needs the power to get the ball in the hoop. Jesus is our example on the cross, but more than that, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. 
Not only does he give us the example, but he gives us the power. He actually takes our sin and he empowers us to live in his righteousness. He's the, we're the little kid with the ball and he just picks us up right into the rim so we can just let it go. We have his example and we have his power. How do we take this from here? Well, again, we're in a season where we're considering what it means to be a member of this church. Um, and what it, it, we're asking all members to reaffirm their membership. This is, uh, it's actually been exciting. People have been doing it in this little form to fill out. And they're writing in the comment section just words of praise to God and gratitude for, uh, for the church and for all that it has meant, to, meant over the years to be God's people together and to say yes and, and recommitting. So it's been really encouraging. I can see why churches do this, uh, do, choose to do this regularly. Um, and really just reconnecting with each other. But my hope is that as, as we consider this, that we all realize how important church is. Because we live as foreigners and exiles, we really do need each other. We really do need this as sort of an embassy to gather and, and to say, yeah, we're gonna, we, need to, we need to help each other live this out because it's not easy. Because our faith can be at odds with the world around us. And just how important uh, gathered church is, you know, you've made the decision to come here today. I commend you that we should be gathering and making that a top priority. Um, connecting with a, a small group, if you can, making that a priority. You know, parents, we're raising our children in a world where our values and the values of the world around them are at odds with each other. <clears throat> so we seek to keep our kids connected to the life of the church. We all seek to support you know, our children in youth ministry and to be in this together and keep that a priority as we seek to live as foreigners and exiles. This is crucial to our way of life. You know, we're, we live as foreigners, we live as exiles, but it's a beautiful church that Jesus has established. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful family. And we get to live it out together. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray that we would look at the world around us and not be just discouraged or dismayed or angry, but we would just see the beautiful opportunity to shine your light, Lord. May it start in our own hearts with our own sin and our own struggles, Lord, as we seek your healing, as we turn from that, as we repent of it, seek your grace, that you would build us up, that we would live in a way that is genuinely respectful of this, this world around us. As crazy as we think it is, Lord, uh, this is where you've called us. So we pray that we would be a blessing and that we would pray for our leaders, Lord. And, and, and Lord, that we would, whatever hardship this world causes us, that we would endure. And we have our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as our example and our power to actually live this out. May it be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.